We're a little over halfway through the retreat. In the heart of the retreat. I want to encourage everyone to stay with the process as best as we can. To use this precious opportunity This kind of stage, it's uh, very seductive. The mind that wanders off imagines where we'd like to be. There's nothing wrong with that. But when that process of always wanting to be somewhere else, wrestling with what is, wanting what isn't here, That's endless. And in this uh, artificial, it is artificial, it's constructed this retreat. But the conditions are such that they're supportive, giving us an opportunity to, to be with and get to know some basic natural, ever natural processes. Give us the opportunity to notice this endless wandering, what's called samsara, that never finishes. It's like being on an endless treadmill, thinking we're going to get there. So we generate stress stress and suffering for ourselves and others. So I encourage us just to be patient with the process, finding we're giving lots of permission to find our own way with the right amount of effort, what we can do. But to really, uh, I encourage you, encourage us to give ourselves the opportunity to look into things. Last night, Tanisra opened the very profound core of the Buddha's teachings. Sometimes when he was asked, what do you teach? He said, I teach suffering and the ending of suffering. Some people think, all oh, those Buddhists, they're the grim ones. They're always going on about suffering. Grim. Wish they'd cheer up a bit. <laughs> That's half the story. In Buddhism, we got good news, too. <laughs> Let me hear the good news. <laughs> suffering and the ending of suffering. possibility of joy that's accessible but you don't have to buy a ticket get accepted to a club prove that you deserve it this dhamma is a hipasako as I mentioned this morning that we chant every day it's open it's saying come it's beckoning us come see come listen the true peacefulness is, is, is here.
once when the Buddha was a monk, uh, he went through a village with his assembly of monks and uh, some uh, Brahmins in the village saw this, this company of shaved head. They called them the shavelings. Oh, here come the shavelings. <laughs> you know, he wasn't getting a lot of praise all the time. Yeah, he got some praise. He got some serious blame too. People trying to kill him. That's another story, but yeah. <laughs> so he's coming in, oh, there come the shavelings. And they saw that the assembly was going to try to get water out of the well. So quickly, the Brahmins said, quick, and they threw a lot of stuff down their own well. I don't know how smart that was. They just threw stuff down their own well so that the shavelings couldn't uh, get any. This is one of the miraculous stories in the, in the life of the Buddha, which it's a story, but it's interesting. Because, uh, so then the Brahmins went back and we're going to watch the show of these poor shavelings being thirsty. And then this geyser of water <laughs> flew up out of the well, threw all the stuff out of it. And, and, uh, and so water's gushing forth and the Buddha makes this uh, famous utterance. He said, who needs a well when there's water everywhere? There's water everywhere. This Dharma is a hipasiko. Can we trust enough that the sacred's not just on the mountaintop? The sacred is not just when we finally get our samadhi together if it wasn't for this. I mean, you know, they're nice enough, but they're breathing so loud. I mean, you know, why don't we just put them on a loudspeaker? You know, if I could, there, there's a couple of seats on the other side. Maybe we do move and someone snores. Then we move someone out somewhere else and then their blasted clock is ticking. Shouldn't, isn't there a sign somewhere about bringing clocks? You know, there's, this is the sacred when we just have it perfect. And the, the, the key was open last night in this profound teaching on suffering and the ending of suffering. That experience when we're stressed, when we're suffering, rather than being too quick to fix it, solve it, you know, dukkha needs to be, there is suffering and it needs to be open to understood, stood under. Why is that an ennobling truth? Why is it a noble truth? Because we, our capacity to bear with starts growing, bear with life. Yeah, but he didn't say we have to bear with ticking clocks, people breathing too loud. Sore backs, is that in there? Bear with, ennobles us. And this dukkha, this ka from the root akasha, some people say, which means perfection, space, unity. Du means apart from, not spacious, contracted, unsatisfactory, stressful. That that experience, and there's a whole range, whole range that goes into that, under that word. So the word suffering is a translation, but it's 
It's not near as good as the word dukkha. And Buddha describes it, you know, so, so that we get a feeling for, for, for what he's talking about. And rather than, like when he gave that first sermon, rather than pointing to those five disciples saying, you guys are suffering. I'm not. But you guys are suffering. If you're nice to me, maybe. He didn't, he didn't say that, because notice that sets up. Remember his first flop, as Tanisha talked last night, was, I am the all-transcendent one. He was speaking truth, but it set up a duality. You either believe it or the guy just said, well, it's nice for you, and he went off on another route. Let's leave the nutcase over there. <laughs> in the Buddha's first sermon, he didn't set up that immediately, you've got to believe me. In fact, at first they said, yeah, sure, sure you've realized the truth. And then he three times tried to teach them, and then they didn't want to hear him. And then the Buddha just said, have I ever talked this way before? And they listened, and he started off saying, there is dukkha. It's not pointing, there is. Old age is dukkha. It's not easy to bear. I can vouch for that. And by the looks in this audience, I think there are others who can, who can yeah, it's not easy to bear. My God, I finally got my knee working a few years ago. It wasn't working. And my left hip's going on me. Get the hip going, then it's back up to the shoulder. Shoulder's feeling better, and then the sinus is going strike. Old age. Sickness. Dukkha, it's not easy to bear. Death, not easy to bear. The dying process, my 94-year-old father led a wonderful life, so generous, so loving to do things for others. Powerful sense of self and being able to be generous and serve others. Then at 90, in 94, it's really difficult, this aging, dying process, when he can't do stuff. And if he can't do stuff, oh, I'm just a burden. Get me out of here. Can I push a button? Very impatient. And then the pains, not being able to do stuff. I'm encouraging him, Dad, you so much enjoy helping others. It's possible that other people can enjoy being with you, helping you. But that aging, dying process is not easy. The loss of falling away of all that we took to be me and mine. Death is dukkha. Not necessarily easy to bear for those experiencing it and for those who are witnessing it. The Buddha went on to say, being separated from the loved is dukkha. He's giving a whole range of experience that we can relate to. Separated from the love that which we love to be with, love to look at, hear, feel. Always think of our uh, beloved uh, dog in South Africa who who came as a miracle uh, when we first uh, went to this wilderness land and there was an illegal hunting party hassling the baboons up in the park. I shouted up there telling them, go away, you're not supposed to, it's protected. An hour later, a squeaking sound was this little puppy got separated from the pack of dogs and became our dear friend. 
And when he died uh, a year or so ago, just the, the anguish of in a country where there were so many challenges to have one little being who was always happy to see you. So affectionate. Oftentimes the white people's dogs bark at the black people and the black people's dogs bark at the white people and Jack was bilingual. (laughs) So he was famous on the road. Zulus had their own name for Jack. They called him Bugumbugu and Numzan, the man and the, the looker like a lion. We had names, all kinds of names, all kinds of trouble he'd get into, but he was a peacemaker. People loved him, he was mischievous, loving. When everything would suffer, he'd roll onto his back and go into big mind. <laughs> And so when, when, when he died, the, the dukkha, separation from the loved, that's dukkha, it's not easy. And in our own way, we, we experience that. This is, this is life, isn't it? What we love and in these dramatic senses or even when there's a, oh, a poignant moment when, when things feel blessed and quiet and just right and, and the light and the sounds and... Even that ache is, is perfect. And, th- and then it's, <laughs> we're not in that state anymore. And we can't bear another moment. Separated from the loved, being unified with the unloved. Finding ourselves being with what we don't want to be with. Pain. The one person we don't want to see, and they, and they keep appearing right when we, oh God, I'll go for a walk, oh God, I'll go have a cup of tea, oh God. The thought that we just don't want, the memory that we don't want, unified with what we don't want, dukkha, it's not easy to bear. The Buddha went on to describe it as not getting what you want. I want samadhi, steadiness of heart, naturally being here, rooted, grounded. (laughs) When we don't get what we want, now these aren't weird. When the Buddha said there is dukkha and he laid it out, this whole range from the to just dukkha dukkha, which is pain, you know, you stub your toe. That's pain. And then to the most subtle, he said, in short, all in short the five focuses of the grasping mind. We we, we chant that in the morning. When the grasping mind, the mind that's looking for something, the grasping mind's not looking to grasp air. Grasping mind wouldn't do that because we just get weary. There's a secret in that, actually. But the grasping mind imagines there's really something to get hold of. The five focuses of the grasping mind are these aggregates of existence, what we take to be me and you. Forms, light, dark, clear, stormy, the form of our body, 
feeling energized or slumped. Focus of the grasping mind is, is the form that we take to be self, me and mine, feeling. That Tanisha went over these the other day, feeling as pleasure and pain. When the grasping mind takes a pleasant feeling, a circumstance that, yeah, when it's getting smooth. In short, the Buddha says, dukkha is the five focuses of the grasping mind. When, when you take a feeling and, and there's an instinctive, yeah, I'll have that. That's good. It's not that this is evil. But when we do that, why is that dukkha? There's nothing wrong with feeling. The Buddha is not, and this is very important, he's not saying that in and of themselves these aggregates are somehow bad. But when we grasp at them, for example, focusing on that feeling of ease and wanting to keep it, it's fine to enjoy it, but then when we, this word grasp literally means to be supported by. Sometimes it's translated as literally upadana, climb up on and build your house on it. Then when it shifts, because it's uncertain, unreliable, it creates stress. Same with perceptions, thoughts, formations, moods and things. Moments of consciousness. These focuses of the grasping mind, we can focus on a mood of elation. Focus on a mood of uh, depression. Oh, God. And then we, we create a self out of it. <gasps> Seems eternal. Dukkha, this experience from just dukkha, dukkha, pain to the more subtle stress needs to be turned to, open to. It's the ennobling truth. Because then when we open to it, number one, we already become more real. And compassionate. Compassionate? Well, what is compassion? Even the English word, passion means to suffer, compassion, to suffer with. We develop a jitta, a heart that's able to bear dukkha. We practice on ourselves. If we can bear that, then guess what? We can then more able... Why Ajahn Chah was so amazing is he knew dukkha. So whatever state you were in, when his eyes looked at you and his heart was there, he would just be right there. You felt seen, heard. It wasn't like, it'll get better, don't worry. He was right there, right with it, even smiling with it. It hurts. Does it hurt? More real. And profoundly, when we're able to be with that which is not easy to be with, it's we're possible to see that which we perpetuate. Some dukkha is just being born. Why do I have a sore back? When you get born and have a back, backs get sore. Oh, come on. But, but, but why do I age? Because you're born. 
Look, that's not just a problem. Human animals age, trees age, solar systems age, stars age. This is not just a hypnotic thing that we humans do. There's, there is aging. Some dukkha is just the way it is. But if we're with that, we can notice the extra dukkha which really makes it difficult, that we add to it by thinking it shouldn't be that way. One of the stories Tanisha and I like to tell is uh, that Ajahn, uh, about Ajahn Chah is that when he was walking on arm round, arms around, in the morning he would point to a big, huge boulder and say, is that heavy? And his uh, disciples you know, eager to at least get a question right, would say, yes, Paul, that is one heavy boulder. <laughs> and he would, he, he had this grunt that he would do. He'd go, nah, which is like, huh, nah, he says. And he, with his look, it's only heavy if you try to lift it. It's only heavy if you try to shift it. But if it's just sitting there, is it heavy? And when we have the sore back or the noise, someone who's breathing too loud or our own noise, is it heavy? Oh, yes, it's very difficult. Very, I mean, it's incredibly difficult. Is it? Yes, okay, it's difficult. But how much extra difficulty is there when we're trying to lift that thing, shift it, shift that thing, push it, hold it, own it, gets a little better? What happens when we just say, ah, there is? Try it sometime. When we, when we, so in this practice, we're still just practicing grounding, being with the simplicity of sitting, walking, what we're doing. Then if there is some dukkha, we open to it in subtle ways or strong ways if it's a powerful sensation. Then we maybe start to notice the origin, what keeps perpetuating a level of stress is wanting something else what's called tamadanha, the desire for pleasure, the desire for, oh, it would be nice to be outside. It's finally clearing up. I could take a walk. There's nothing evil about that, but notice how that takes one somewhere else. Then we come back to this, the feeling, huh? or then the desire to become, an identity, the, 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 the desire to become someone who is enlightened someone who's a good meditator. Or then, well, I'm a slow learner. The desire even to know who I am, I'm just a slow learner. At least that desire to have some kind of solidity. Or I'm a basket case. Or I got to find my own way. This is all just sheep moving in. Then we go off somewhere else and at least I'm, I'm independent. I'm the independent one. Or the desire to get rid of. It's another desire that can add stress to a situation. Desire to, that's the pushing on the boulder, thinking it shouldn't be there. 
Buddha said, when we notice this, can we be interested in it and practice letting be, letting it go? There's nothing wrong with going on a walk, nothing wrong with trying to become better at stuff. But when we, when we don't understand those currents, they're always... Remember when the Buddha said, hey, who needs a well when there's water everywhere? Desire is always making you think the good stuff's somewhere else. Or the good stuff's when I just get rid of this. Or the good stuff is when I get to that accomplishment. There's juice in that. There's energy in that. But there's no peace in that. So in a moment, for example, with the boulder analogy, we can have moments of, say, being with a discomfort. It's in the way. It's getting in the way. In a moment when we're not pushing it away, not wanting it to be different, can we notice perhaps it still maybe is there? But we're not telling ourselves, I like it, I don't like it, it's this, it's that. It just is. We also then can notice the heart ground. A peacefulness that's not... When we're trying to lift something, push something away, it creates all this stress. When we're not grasping or rejecting, we're resting in, our, in the suchness of things. It's still Things are still what they are. We can taste the third truth, what's called the ending of suffering. Peace. That needs to be tasted. So if we're suffering and spend a lot of time suffering, we don't need to feel ashamed of it. It's a noble truth. But can we make some effort to open to it? It ennobles us. With what degree we can. If sometimes we need them to shift postures and know enough's enough, that's all right. That's compassionate. Ajahn Chah would say, don't pretend you have a 10-wheeler truck when you've got a wheelbarrow. I'm going to sit here. I'm not going to move until I crack it. I don't care how much pain there is. I just don't care. Day and night. Got four more days? I'm just going to be sitting here. Who needs to eat? (laughs) That's a great aspiration. But, you know, that might be in that 10-wheeler truck category. And, you know, it's good to have determination, but, you know, sometimes we can change postures. We can also work with little things. Don't have to do it all in one goal. to practice, even just being the gateway to this water that's everywhere. The gateway to realizing the sacred ground is right here. It's just noticing that all these objects of desire, these things that we think we're going to get to, are actually shifting and changing. Keeps dissolving. We can practice letting things die, letting things dissolve, noticing the ending of sounds that dissolves back into the underlying silence, the ending of thoughts, the changing nature of thoughts that keeps returning. 
the forms that we like and we don't like, we can also notice as a meditation that there's space around the forms. Silence around the sounds that keep dissolving back into the sounds. There's light. The sun is out. People are in the hall. But all these keep changing. Then it gets dark and people empty out of the hall. But the space is unmoved. The happy thoughts, the unhappy thoughts keep dissolving back into the ever-present silence. Similarly, all our experiences are happening within awareness. What I'm doing now is wisely reflecting, yoniso manasikara. The Buddha said, this is what we need to do. Yoni means womb. And this was talking about the mother of the Buddhas. Yoniso manasikara means Give attention to the womb, to the origin of things. Radical reflection. Radical, the root of the word radical is root. Give attention to the root, to the origin, to the source. So wisdom includes being with the pain and the liking and the not liking, but also giving, a, having a feeling for it all dissolving into silence, presence. Each sound. So when we practice allowing things, allowing ourselves to also let our attention not be so contracted and fixated over, I want this, I don't want that. When we're patient, then we allow things to well up and subside. We get a feeling for things also dissolving back. Nature is teaching us this right now. It's beautiful. I was walking this morning. It's all melting. You know, all those big drifts and, and uh, opaque drifts you can't see. And, but a lot of it is underground. We don't even really know it, but it's, I don't even know how to put it into words, but the, the water's underneath it. It's melting. These currents. It's beautiful. The sun these solid shapes are actually thawing. And all these solid shapes are turning into this clear, lucid water. Flowing. What melts our concretized, stuck places is the, is the light. The thawing quality of uh, awareness seeing change, the kindness of the heart that's patient and willing to be with things. This is what allows the seemingly frozen, oh, I can't do it, and this is too difficult, and oh, gosh, I don't really know. All these seemingly stuck places. We might not even know it, but it's already melting. Like even right now, you go out there, some stuff on the surface doesn't look like it, but if you listen, you'll hear the water and you'll look at this gap that's already appearing under the ledges where, the, where it's already melting. We're melting stuff. Just 
takes its own process. And all this solid stuff, it just turns to water. It's all water. Who needs a well when there's water everywhere? Everything keeps dissolving back into suchness. Our presence, our nature. So whether it's peaceful or difficult, this is ennobling. I encourage us to stay with it. One step at a time. One breath at a time. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.